You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 30th of October. And on the programme today, we discussed that security alert that was issued by the UAE government for Google Chrome and Apple users. So what should we be doing to protect our systems? We found out with cybersecurity expert Rami Kayali. Plus, as the big education conference Guess kicks off in Abu Dhabi, we picked the brains of one of their experts on how AI should be used in the classroom. Is it empowering pupils or threatening their learning experience? We caught up with Marcus Muller-Habig, who is acting CEO for 42 Abu Dhabi. Meanwhile, Dubai is looking for builders for a brand new metro line. So we wanted to find out where it'll go and how it's likely to help with your morning commute. We spoke about stations both underground and overground with construction expert Christopher Seymour. Meanwhile, we're all being encouraged to get fit this month. That's with the 7th Dubai Fitness Challenge. With 600 classes, there is something for everyone. And we found out what's new this year with the organiser, Jakob Nabi. Meanwhile, the messages are coming through thick and fast for Friends star Matthew Perry, who sadly died over the weekend. Producer Jennifer Crichton brought us a report on that story. And Chris McCarty also joined us with all the latest sports news, including the conclusion, the thrilling conclusion of that Rugby World Cup. And finally, pigeons are helping scientists problem solve because they have similar brains to artificial intelligence. Jennifer Crichton spoke to Edward Wasserman, who's a professor of experimental psychology at the University of Iowa, and he has been studying pigeons for years. Welcome back to your Monday morning agenda program. Yeah, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I have to say, and I know that I know that happens every year with sort of, you know, alarming regularity, but it is good that the weather is back. Uh, and it was, I know we had that big storm on Friday, on Thursday night, but it did just mean that Friday, Saturday, Sunday were completely gorgeous. And long may that continue. It is a double Burj day out of our windows today, which means it is lovely and clear. We can see both the Burj Khalifa and the Burj Al Arab. And uh, yeah, I had an absolutely gorgeous weekend as a consequence, spent much of it on the beach. I hope you did too. I hope you're enjoying the lovely new weather. And obviously with this whole uh, 30... 30, the fitness challenge, getting involved, you know, people getting involved with that. Um, I think there's lots, lots of people getting out and going for walks in this nice weather, going for bike rides and basically getting involved outdoors with the city again, because I have to say the UAE really does come into its own during this winter season. The summer seems to get longer and longer for me each year, but uh, this time of the year is truly awesome. Now we're going to take a look at some serious stories, though, on the programme today. Not just talking about the weather, much as I love it. We're going to actually look at something you might have missed over this glorious weekend because the UAE has issued a critical warning for Google Chrome and Apple users so basically everyone. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I challenge anyone. Is, is there anyone out there who doesn't use either Apple, Google Chrome or an Apple sort of phone or Apple computer? Um, anyway, it came from a really serious body here. It came from the Cybersecurity Council of the UAE. It's a security alert and they are warning of high risk vulnerabilities on the two systems. They urged users uh, to take swift action. 
Well, honestly, easier said than done for many of us. And I have to say, even though I read this story on Sunday and really got into it and all the rest of it, I haven't actually done anything with my Google Chrome or Apple utensils. Um, so we're going to find out a bit more about what we should be doing about it and what the um, what the ramifications are if you don't, if you just sit back and sort of ignore it a bit like I have over the last 24 hours. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the studio now by Rami Kayali, who is Chief Technology Officer at the Dubai Security Company, The Colonel. He's done us the favour of coming into the studio. Good morning, Rami. How are you? Good morning, Georgia. Always good to have you join us. This has felt like quite a big warning, to be honest. It sort of came out, you know, you know, I always imagine breaking news with flashing lights. Of course, that's only in my own head. But does the government regularly issue warnings like this? Well, to be honest, I haven't seen the government issue warnings like that. Typically, it's the vendor that issues um, occasional updates. Mm. Um, it could have to do with the severity of a particular bug because at the end of the day, the a security issue is some type of bug, some issue with the software that allows a malicious uh, virus to infect your device. And then when a virus infects your device, obviously they hit certain barriers and the higher they can break through, the, the deeper they can break into your device. So it goes from, oh, I can, you know, read your messages to I can completely control your screen and read, uh, listen to your phone calls and so on. So it really depends on the severity. This one sounds like it's quite severe. Okay. And hence the warning. Um, I mean, when they have access to your computer, they, yeah. the malicious people, um, what do they want? Like, I mean, they're going to find the endless pictures of my children really quite tedious. Well, it, honestly, it breaks down into uh, two categories. One is what we call um, a drive-by attack. This is, these are automated pieces of software that sort of scan the internet and scan for devices that are vulnerable and infect them completely automatically. So no one's targeting you specifically. Typically, no one's targeting you specifically to infect your device to get your data. Those are called targeted attacks, and they exist but for a specific kind of uh, individual. I'm not important enough is what we're saying, it, it, which is It fine. depends. <laughs> I, can, I can go with that on a Monday morning. I won't be able to judge that, but uh, the attacker would, yes. right? So um, we, we, won't be able, we won't be able to know. The severity of this attack um, just means that you have to, like there's not much you can do. You're not creating the software, are you? You have to simply keep it up to date. Yeah, okay, well... Interesting you should say that. What can we do to protect our systems? When you say keep it up to date, I kind of sat in front of my Apple laptop where the E doesn't work at the moment and sort of looked at it thinking, I'm pretty certain it needs an update of some sort, but I quite genuinely don't know how to do it. So how, how should we be going into our devices and making sure that our Google Chrome is up to date and our Apple probably iPhones and MacBooks and iPads are up to date. What about the watches as well? I guess you might have to do stuff with those. Yeah, it would do that too. Well, the good news is that these vendors have gotten so much better at keeping your devices automatically up to date. Oh, okay. So you don't really, if, if you've configured it and you left it at the default state, then uh, it would probably update itself over the next couple of weeks. So that's the good news is that you don't really have to do much to it. Okay. The bad news is how quickly it updates because typically um, it takes a few weeks from the date they release an update to the date it actually updates. Um, so when it's a severe security issue like the one we're talking about now, uh, it's usually better to keep up with the news and then manually hit the update button. 
Well, it's interesting you should say that because I have just picked up my phone yeah. and I do know how to do it with my Apple phone. I, I'm not sure how to do it on the laptop, but I imagine it's much the same vibe. Yeah. Um, and I've gone into settings and then general yeah. and then software update. Exactly. And um, it says automatic updates on, but actually it does here say iOS 16.7.2 and then it does give me the option to download and install which means I think I've got to do it manually, haven't I? Yeah, also 16 is quite old. As oh. in, it's not quite oh, yes, old, no, it's, it's just the older version. Yeah, it says I can upgrade to iOS 17 here. Yeah. Down, down, so I should do that one then. Is Ideally. It, is it cheating to, do, to basically ask someone who is a professional, a CTO with a major security company to come in and basically just do your own IT? Because I feel like I'm doing that right now. I'm sorry. I am going to click on download and install now. But everyone should do that, basically. So they should go into their phones yeah. and do that now, right yeah. now. Well, the, the two biggest uh, areas where you, you'd be hit is your phone yeah, um, and your browser, whatever browser you're using. So yeah, on your computer, if you're too. using Chrome, you would, uh, you would also need to update it. Okay. So what are the implications of doing nothing? Um, what if you listen to this and you forget like most of us probably will unless you're doing it right now by the way if you're listening and you're not obviously driving do it right now because otherwise you'll forget and you know if it's a serious warning then it's something we nearly need to seriously talk about and consider the implications is that you risk uh, getting uh, getting your device infected Uh, getting your device infected means somebody or some system will have access to all of your information you're the, the data that you have on your phone is quite critical, right? The, the mobile phone is... Uh, I mean, it's it, my it, life, but in electronic form. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Essentially, it has absolutely everything. It's not like our old computers where we simply had a few documents and, you know, the, the, a school homework or a, a few reports for work. You, it has everything. And most people's phones are mixed up between work and personal life. So you're kind of risking exposing both I mean, it, it's deeply concerning. I'm, the reason why I'm sounding slightly distracted is I've just opened my laptop. And if you're wondering how to do the software update on that, I've managed to figure out how to do it while talking to you. And I have got something that needs updating. So it's funny, I, like it, both, both of the machines that I own, even though I would have thought that I had the automatic updates on, you do still need to do it in both situations. It's not oh. that difficult either. I was quite surprised at how easy it is. No, and had you left it a few weeks, it would have updated itself on its own. Uh, the reason vendors stagger these updates is because there are so many people using these devices. So imagine, you know, a few billion people all hitting the update button at the same time that can cause a lot of load. So what they do is they stagger the automatic updates. So some people get the updates really early, others get it a few days later and so on and so forth. And so ultimately what the cybersecurity fraud, you know, fraudsters are looking to do is to harvest data yeah. and then And then the sky's the limit as to what they do with that. It's one of two. Um, If you're a regular run-of-the-mill easy target, then it's just uh, an attacker would get get access to your data and harvest it and sell it. Or if you're a targeted individual, then I I might have other – as an attacker, I might have other more serious plans for you. So someone has just texted in, thank you very much indeed, Ben, uh, saying on the subject of browsers, you could also look at using a more secure browser like Brave or, I mean, Ben, is this serious? DuckDuckGo? Yeah. They are way more secure than Chrome, Safari and Edge, etc. I mean, I haven't even heard of those two ones that Ben mentions, Brave and DuckDuckGo. Um, Yeah, these are more... 
See, uh, what Ben says, uh, they're more secure. The, um, there's a bit of a nuance there. They're okay. more privacy-oriented, mm. but they're not necessarily more secure because the, uh, the engine... So a browser is basically an engine and, uh, and a user interface around it. Yeah. Most browsers are based on one, or, uh, one of two or three popular engines. So Brave is essentially the same as Google Chrome. So when Google Chrome, like inside, the internals are exactly the same. It's more privacy-oriented in that it doesn't integrate with Google services, doesn't show you ads, has, has some features that filter, you know, some website trackers uh, or advertising. The cookies that follow you around. Oh, so, yeah, the irritating so, yeah, ones. So, so you get advertised the same dress time yeah. and time again. So DuckDuckGo and Brave and these slightly less known browsers would uh, would clear out those kind of cookies. But they're not necessarily more secure from a, from a vulnerability perspective because they're using the same engine as Google Chrome. Do you know, this has been a very interesting conversation and, and, and very helpful because I have quite literally on my own just updated my own machines. And I hope you're doing the same. Uh, you just with, with Apple, it genuinely is quite easy. I need to figure out how to do the Chrome one. But I guess it's just about like I'm in Chrome now. I don't even know which button you can press. Settings. Here we go. I found settings. Top right hand corner. Go to settings. I feel like this is why my mum rings me. She's like, "Darling, I've forgotten my password on my Apple on, on my Apple machine again." Yeah, and now I feel it can like be I'm, challenging. It can be challenging. But thank you very much indeed, Rami, for talking us through and, and basically encouraging us all to make the effort to do something because we clearly do. Uh, but yeah, I wish you wish you all the well. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you again soon. That's Rami Thanks, Kayali, CTO at the Dubai security company, The Colonel, helping us with what, what ended up being a sort of an IT lesson, um, <laughs> but one we needed, uh, to be honest. Uh, so, Rami, thank you very much indeed. Lovely to have you in, as always. We are taking a look at the topic of AI now. It is making headlines once again as it's emerging that the G7 group of industrialized countries are today planning to agree to a landmark code of conduct. That is for companies who are developing advanced AI. It is a voluntary initiative, uh, but it is the sort of first major attempt by countries like the United States, the the UK, uh, the EU as well, obviously as a group of countries, to tackle the sort of privilege concerns, the security risks, you know, that are being created by AI, which, of course, we've talked about a lot on the programme today. And in fact, we are going to discuss that further because this breaking news comes as experts in Abu Dhabi are today considering the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to AI in our classrooms. And it's just one of the topics being considered at GESS or JESS Dubai. It's the leading education conference in the Middle East and it's currently taking place in Abu Dhabi. And the big question for them when it comes to education is whether or not AI is going to empower pupils or maybe threaten their learning experience by, for example, making it easier to cheat. Let's find out with someone who's giving a talk on that very subject. I'm joined now by Marcus Muller-Habig. He is acting CEO for the Coding School 42 Abu Dhabi. Joining me on Teams, Marcos, good day to you. I hope you are very well. Tell me, to what extent is AI already being used in our classrooms? Hi, Georgia. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so it, 
AI is actually already being used in, in a lot of ways, right? So uh, there's adaptive learning software that's being trialed out now. So it's like an, uh, an individual tutoring system where individual students can get specific help based on topics that they may be struggling with, right? So it allows for a much more individual personal connection uh, to their learning, which is super important, right? Um, chatbots are also really, really effective nowadays with, uh, you know, uh, ChatGPT and, and OpenAI and what they're doing. And also, depending on the, the school and the system that they're doing, there's also uh, automated grading systems. So it's something that we use here at 42, um, which is basically it's a system here that will compile, run different tests and give you a score on your code. Uh, and so it, it is very effective. It's something we've used for, for years. Now, for the most part, when we're talking about coding and, and 42 Abu Dhabi, we are talking about adults or at least people over the age of 18. How do you think teachers should be encouraging children to be using AI or should it be something that they wait until they're an adult to use? A bit like, I don't know, rated 18 videos. No, no, I agree with you. It, it should be more towards the children as well, uh, because it's it's super important. This is something that's not, not that's not going away. Uh, it's kind of like when Google was first introduced, people had to learn how to use search engines. They had to learn how to do the right search terminologies to get the topic and the answers that they want to get. It's kind of the same thing because the the uh, the launch of these new technologies, especially around uh, you know large language models, most of it is around getting what you want using the proper prompts, and and that is something that requires practice. It does require some assistance. It does require kind of a a trial and error as well. So teachers should absolutely do it. And the best way to do it that that we've seen is to integrate into their everyday learning experiences, right? So um, also educational tools. It allows teachers also to to help uh, or have help designing their lessons and their presentations, which makes it more engaging for students. And so then they can also let them know like, oh, yeah, this is how I did this. And this is the prompt that I used. Uh, to do this. So it really allows for a more hands-on experience and, and a lot of exposure from an earlier age, which means that by the time they hit their working age and by the time they hit their career, it's something that they're more well-versed in and it's more natural for them to take advantage of those tools. What about the big plagiarism elephant in the room? You know, the idea that they can just copy their answers or ask ChatGPT the answers. Do you think we're going to need to change school assessments, you know, maybe get rid of exams even, to, you know, because of the creation of AI. So 100%. This is something that we've discussed a lot. Uh, it's not so much that you're going to have to get rid of assessments. You just have to change them a little bit. So the number one way that we've seen is to adapt more to your personal experiences. So when you're looking for a writing assessment, uh, when you involve things like your personal opinion or your personal experiences into it, that's something that ChatGPT can't replicate, number one. If it's just an assessment to learn about how the student's writing quality is, that's probably something that ChatGPT will take over, right? Because it's it's very difficult to detect AI written text. No matter what anybody tells you, if the prompt is written properly, it's very, very, very difficult to detect. Uh, and so that's something that, yes, assessments do have to adapt to that. But examinations, when they're done kind of in presence and, and proctored and there's a controlled environment, those are still very valuable. It's something that we at 42 still use uh, till this day as a measure of knowledge. Uh, which we remove kind of all outside sources and allow the students real the knowledge to take over. And that's when kind of like, you know, more 
essay-based exams, that's when you'll get a true measure of the student's writing quality and writing prowess, right? Because take-home exams and take-home essays, if it's just generic material, uh, then yeah, absolutely. That's where AI will really be a concern. And then it's the concern of, is it actually plagiarism or is it just assisted, assisting the students within the writing process? And that was a topic that is very, very hotly debated. And, and you know, everyone has different opinions on that. So I'll leave that to each individual. I got about 30 seconds left with you. Now, I know that AI chatbots like ChatGPT can help with simple coding. They can help find, they can write it for you and they can help find the flaws in it. You know, you Mm. teach large groups of of people how to code each year, people from every single background, and you do this peer-to-peer learning. How is, you know, how has ChatGPT impacted on how they're learning? You know, is it going to get rid of these early coders, these junior coders, because you just won't need a human to do it anymore? No, not at all. First, coders are the ones that are building these uh, these language models. So uh, second, the language models are still very limited when it comes time to uh, debugging their own code as well as making their code more efficient. That's where the humans come in. And thirdly, it's it's also it'll help coders doing the heavy lifting of coding, which is the time consuming part. But the creative aspect of coding is still very much human based. So it's not a threat to us. I think it's actually a, a good benefit. That is very encouraging news. It's really interesting, actually, the conversations around AI do seem to be shifting from this sort of initial panic of about a year ago when we all met ChatGPT, when we thought, that's it, it's over, half our jobs are going, to this sort of more human-centric AI-assisted approach, uh, which is a lot more encouraging, uh, specifically for radio presenters as well, who thought... I genuinely thought that that my time was limited, uh, but now I'm hoping my personality is going to see me through. Fingers crossed. Um, Marcus Muller-Havig there joining us on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. He is acting CEO for 42 Abu Dhabi and he's going to be speaking at Jess Dubai in the coming days. Welcome back to The Agenda. Very good to have you listening this Monday morning. And uh, if you didn't read the news over the weekend, and why would you? I hope you were out there having a brilliant time, enjoying the gorgeous weather, going to the beach, just chilling. But don't worry, we were reading the news for you. And it turns out that Dubai is getting a new metro line. Now, this isn't brand new news. We have known as part of the Dubai Vision 2040 plan that there were going to be extensions to the metro lines. But we have definitely got a few more intriguing details. And there's nothing we like more about that. Basically, it's going to be a 30-kilometre track. They're calling it the Blue Line. And the idea is that it'll provide a link between the existing red and green lines. Now, there's a few little bits of information Um, and we know that the Roads and Transport Authority have officially issued a tender for the design and the build of the new line which means we're definitely you know at least one step closer. Let's find out more. I'm joined uh, in the studio now by Christopher Seymour. He's a construction expert, a development expert and he is from Mott McDonald Middle East. Now Chris you've changed your title recently. I was going to say Managing Director but you've got a different title now haven't you? Yes I I head up uh, a strategy investment for Mots across um, Middle East, uh, Africa and South Asia as well now. Yes. Fantastic. Great to have you join us in the studio. And as a consequence, I'm sure you are familiar with many of the companies that will be going up for it. Yours might indeed be one of them going for the tender. How 
bigger project is something like this? How big a deal is it? It's, uh, it, it, it's pretty big. And as you say, this um, project uh, started life or oh, way back really, really when the uh, metro was being uh, planned out. Some of the routing has changed quite a bit, but the design for this one actually started prior to the pandemic. It was actually stopped during the pandemic and, now it, and then it was restarted again in 2022. And now we've got to the point of inviting uh, contractors. Um, the tender itself isn't out yet. What is out is an expression of interest. So the way so major infrastructure projects work is that, first of all, there's an expression of interest from the market, whether those would be interested in actually tendering for it. The RTA will then select those uh, consortiums because they will be consortiums, quite large consortiums as well. And then they send them the tender. So the submission of that uh, that expression of interest is the uh, 24th of November. Then after that, the tender comes. So it's a major projects are usually procured in that way. Yes. So it's quite a long process. Process. Do we, hmm. at the very start of this process, have any sense of when this new line might be completed? I imagine it would be done in stages. Are we, you know, are we talking decades ultimately? Uh, this particular part of the line, no, it shouldn't be decades. Um, the uh, offers from the uh, consortium will. Uh, indicate their idea of of how long this project should uh, should last originally it was it was a five year build originally um, but uh, of course things have changed in the meantime and so we don't know exactly how long that's going to be but it's uh, 30 kilometers is quite quite a way and half of it's going to be underground now as well so that's uh, uh, that's that's also from an engineering perspective, also quite a challenge. Five stations are going to be underground, and then seven are elevated. So the elevated ones, they they're going to look quite similar to the existing ones we would expect. But those that are underground, of course, are a, a different uh, a different matter, and they need a lot more time, and they're much more costly as well. But I think the important p- piece about this line is going to pick up those big population centres, go through Murdiff, International City, and so um, residents there are going to love the fact that this uh, this extension is finally getting its uh, uh, getting the go-ahead uh, as such and, it, and as you say it links into the 2040 plan that hub up there that's the fifth hub the Dubai uh, Silicon Oasis hub so-called it really hasn't had that connectivity and if you think about the way that the, the 2040 plan has to link these hubs together then this was really the uh, the vacancy if you like that needed to be uh, needed to be filled now it now looks like it will. I feel like there is an elephant in the room, though, when it comes to the metro, because while citizens, residents of Silicon Oasis, residents of, um, of Murdiff are going to be very pleased with this new line, what we really need is something to charger, surely. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the one, that's the real kicker. Don't we just, like, we just need one stop in Sharjah and then one stop in Dubai, and that would just sort out this ghastly traffic that everyone has to contend with every single day. And you're, you're making a good point here, because the the... The daytime population of Dubai by 2040 will be seven and a half million. So it's it moved by around about a million at the moment. So the, the cities generally breathe in and out during the day and the night. Uh, but that's going to double by the time we get to 2040. So that passage of people in and out of the city is going to accelerate. And so, as you say, not only do the, you need good transportation links within city, you need good transportation links actually into uh, the city itself. Speaking of that, there is um, a suggestion that one of the stations will be an iconic station. What does that mean? It's going to mean it's uh, it's going to look uh, probably uh, radically different to the, if you like, the 
uh, I could call them the normal uh, metro uh, station that you can see today. So I, I, what I'm expecting is the elevator stations may look reasonably similar to the what you're seeing at the moment. And then the iconic one is going to be something where uh, probably a lot more is going to be spent on the aesthetic and it's visually uh, going to look uh, far more impactful. That's the um, that's the meaning of the word iconic. So you, it's something that people will reference. It's something that we refer to. They'll say, oh, that station. And then people will know that. Whereas at the moment, each station looks reasonably similar. Yeah, um, the, and they don't really define each other. I love your description of them as armadillos. And that is exactly what they do look like as you run along the Shakeside Road. Now, there's another station that everybody is expecting and everyone is waiting to find out where it's going to be placed. And that is the station for the Etihad Rail passenger link that's going to be, I mean, it's long awaited because it's going to see us all the way down to Abu Dhabi and back again. So, you know, I, that's why I'm talking about the Sharjah one as well, because we've got the Abu Dhabi one sort of in the waiting in the wings. Do you think there's a chance that this iconic station for the Blue Line could be the same as the iconic station that no doubt they'll be building for the Etihad Rail project? You would like to think so. It's just that the location is quite a long way apart. It's sort of so yeah. far the, the, the location of that, the, the terminal for that uh, uh, high speed link. Um, has been discussed as being more towards the south of Dubai, around the Dubai, but Dubai south area. And this metro line at this stage uh, doesn't quite uh, get that far. Um, and that would need a further, further extension. But um, for sure, in the uh, original uh, metro layout plans, uh, there was a plan to connect both, both airports. Um, and that would mean that would be sensible as well. And, and even further than that as well. Yeah, are there more plans for more metro on the, in that 2040 plan? Or is, or is this everything that we've got coming to us the, the, the 2040 plan d- uh, refers to the metro plan not s- in specific lines and so it's it's really a matter of uh, referencing back i think the way we need to look at it is uh the those five urban hubs that within themselves will create this 20 minute uh, environment for those that are living there there needs to be connectivity between the hubs so if we look at those hubs we now need to think actually is just one line which at the moment is the red line really connecting them all up across to Jebel Ali then up to Expo is that sufficient I would expect that there would probably be scope for another line really going from uh, from one to the other but that's just my view and it's not necessarily uh, something that's going to happen but it's really just got to feel what is that connectivity uh, really uh, really looking for so it's um, and of course the world is changing and I think that's something that we've also got to understand that you know when the when the layout plans for uh, the metro honestly in any city is uh, is committed then things change and that metro system has to be agile to those changes as well Really interesting stuff. Chris, thank you so much, as ever, for coming into the Agenda studio to talk us through the new blue metro line uh, tender. That Well, a recent, they, the RTA has issued a recent tender for it, uh, another few years at least before, the, you know, maybe building. So when do you think building would start once, you know, the agreements have been met, Chris? I would expect that to be 24. OK. Probably. Oh, well, that's soon. Mm. I mean, this is the funny thing with Dubai. Things do indeed happen very fast. Uh, Christopher Seymour, though, uh, from Mutt McDonald Middle East. Thank you very much indeed for your time. A pleasure. Thank you too. There are some TV characters that are just so recognisable that they sort of pass into that iconic status. And this weekend, many people have suggested that Friends Chandler Bing is very much one of those. Have a listen. Could I be more sorry? (laughs) No, you didn't get me. It's an electric drill. 
You get me, you kill me. I'm Chandler. I make jokes when I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to Yemen. When we get to Yemen, can I stay with you? I'm not great at the advice. Can I interest you in a sarcastic comment? Chandler, of course, was played by the actor Matthew Perry, who very sadly died this weekend at the age of 54. Now, producer Jennifer Crichton's been following the story and joins me now in the studio. Now, Jen, I know, I mean, obviously he was he was very young. So uh, there are immediate question marks around uh, why, how uh, Matthew Perry died. That's right. And we had been expecting a bit more clarity this morning. But the latest reports from the US say initial tests on his body are inconclusive and the cause of death has been deferred at this point. Now, that means that further investigations will be carried out, including the preparation of toxicology reports. But what we do know is that he died in an apparent drowning in a hot tub at his home in Los Angeles and his body was found on Saturday afternoon. Film critic Scott Bryan says millions were left stunned by the news. We become familiar with somebody because we watch them on TV the entire time and because they provide a sense of joy. So of course when we hear about the sad news of their of their death, you know, it feels as if you you know them even though you you may have never met them. And I think it's down to his remarkable skill as an actor, as a comedy actor. There is a reason why Friends became the global colossal success that it did and and it's down to his skill and it's down to his wit but i think what's you know becoming very evident is just the overwhelming sense of kindness that that he had now of course perry was as you said best known as chandler bing in friends that ran from 10 years from 1994 and it made a huge star of him of jennifer aniston of courtney cox of lots of others and of course it's become a sort of cultural shorthand the the series and that first clip of him there that turn of phrase that he had could i be more something that's it it was just you just need to hear the slightest little bit and if you're our age you immediately know who you're talking about and what's really interesting is that the show certain parts of it haven't maybe aged so well but it then became a really big hit with the next generation of TV viewers through Netflix. So it's kind of one of those shows that we don't really have anymore. That was a real water cooler. Everybody knew it. And it means that he had a level of fame that very few people these days actually get to. And do you know, I checked because I wanted to do this topic on the programme. I wanted to talk about him. But obviously, I grew up in the United Kingdom. And so I've got quite sort of Western cultural influences. So I checked with Shruti, who produces the Business Breakfast programme, who essentially grew up here. Uh, and then Natasha Thomas, who's one of our news editors. And obviously, she grew up in India. And she's like, no, no, no. It, it, both of the girls both said, look, no, it was the, the programme was huge where we were growing up as well. So it really does have that sort of global popularity, I it think. It really sort of trans- transcended borders and and nationalities and and age groups eventually as well. And it is just one of those shows that is just so instantly recognisable. And I mean, as I said, it made stars of a lot of people. Now, one of the people who starred in it was Hank Azaria. He wasn't a main character, but he starred as Phoebe's boyfriend, David. And it turns out he was also a very close friend of Matthew Perry. Now, he posted a message on Instagram last night saying his heart was broken. Matthew was uh, the first friend I made in Los Angeles. When I moved there, I was 21. He was 16. We did a pilot together called Morning Maggie that never saw the light of day. But Matthew and I became really good friends. And we were really more like brothers for a long time. We laughed a lot together. 
Um, we were there for each other in the early days of our career. And um, funny as he was on Friends, and he was, in person he was just the funniest man ever. He just lived to laugh. And he was like a genius. He would start to weave comedy threads together, just hanging out. And then by the end of the night, he'd weave them all together in this like crescendo of hilarity. But most nights he spent with Matthew were crying laughing by the end. I really loved him. A lot of us who were close to him felt like we lost him a long time ago because as he documented it in his autobiography, there was so much suffering. I had to pick up and put down that biography like 11 times. It was so painful for me to read. It was really, as his friend who loved him, I, I knew he must be suffering, but the details of it were just devastating. He was so caring and giving and wise, and he totally helped me get sober. And I really wish he could have found it in himself to stay with the sober life more consistently. That's Hank Azaria, who starred as Phoebe's boyfriend, David, in the episode Friends. Uh, He was a close friend of Matthew Perry, and he is paying tribute there to the actor Matthew Perry, who very sadly died this weekend at the age of 54. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and welcome back to The Agenda. Taking a look now uh, at a topic that could make you fit within a month if you stick to it. Yep, it is the Dubai Fitness Challenge. It's officially started its seventh edition and it offers one month of free fitness activities. Now, if you're new to the Emirates, the general gist of the event is to encourage all of us to do 30 minutes of daily physical activity for 30 days. That is why it's often known as the 30 by 30. And to help us on our way, there are loads of free government-organised activities, 600, in fact. Uh, They centre around three fitness villages as as well as lots of sort of other sites. And there are three key events. There's a big run and there's a big bike ride. And both of those go along Sheikh Zayed Road. Yes, they entirely close uh, one area of Sheikh Zayed Road uh, very early on a Sunday morning. Bizarrely, it doesn't seem to cause traffic chaos, actually, and it's always very well received and well worth signing up for that literally now because otherwise you'll run out of time. Uh, So there's the Dubai ride and there's the Dubai run. But there is now a third mega event uh, that I'm going to leave it to one of the organisers to explain uh, because we're joined now on the line by Jakob Nabi. He is the manager of the Dubai Fitness Challenge and he's going to tell us everything that is new and fun about uh, the Dubai Fitness Challenge. Hi Jakob, how are you? Good to have you on the agenda. Hi, hi, how are you? Very good (laughs) indeed. Thank you very much. So tell me, what is new this year? All right. So, uh, as you mentioned, uh, this year we are starting. This is the seventh edition of Dubai uh, Fitness Challenge, which is going to start from uh, 28th of October until, which already started 28th of October. I'm sorry about the date. Until 26th of uh, November, uh, a lot of really exciting uh, events that's going to happen this year. A new edition, uh, new things that's happening. So in terms of uh, talking about the villages that we have, we have uh, three villages, one at Kite Beach, the other one is Rana Ride Central, and also we have uh, our Mushrif Park uh, Cycling Center. These are the three villages. Each uh, of the village uh, has a lot of activities, a lot of events, 
uh, that happen and for everyone of course to uh, to be part of it and then um, talking about the mega events uh, we have uh, as uh, Dubai ride which is going to happen on the 12th of November so we are asking everyone to to start registering uh, for for the event and then on the 18th of November we have our mass SUP event standard paddle boarding in Hatada. So there's going to be a lot of classes there, everything also transportation from Dubai to Hatta uh, for the public to, to participate uh, as there will be uh, uh, different classes for standard paddle boarding in, in Hatta Dam. And um, the, we have also in the um, 26th of November, we have Dubai Run, which is the biggest uh events that we have until now uh last year we had 193,000 people participating uh hopefully uh having more numbers this year also and you've mentioned one side of the road but uh good news that it's both sides of the road on <laughs> Sheikh Zayed so not just only one um yep and also the communities are participating with us so in 2019 we started with just only fitness hub which we gave the opportunity for uh, different communities to create their own version of the fitness village so in 2019 we had five now in, two, in 2023 we had we're having 26 fitness hubs uh, around the city so uh, there is no excuse that you don't do uh, any fitness because it's actually next to your door. <laughs> so you have to do it. Yeah, I have to say, I, I live very close to Kite Beach. And so I get to see your Kite Beach village uh, quite a bit. And what's great is that there's loads of fun things for the kids to do as well. It's not just for adults, is it? Absolutely. This is why I say that it's for everyone kids, elder people, youth, everyone can participate, all the nationalities can be part of, of uh, this event. And how about the freebies? Is it uh, Are there free classes that you can sign up to? How do you sign up to them? I could say everything that we have it in Dubai Fitness Challenge related directly to BFC, it's free of charge. This is why uh, everyone can participate. All our events are free. You can visit our villages you can, uh, or the hubs, any one of them. All the activities that you are uh, going to or trying to be part of it, it's all free of charge. You just need to go and register either uh, through through uh, com. You will find all the information. And for the mass events, which is Dubai Ride and Dubai Run, and also the SUP, you can find it in in our uh, in our website also. And plus, there is one more thing, which is we are doing with Adidas. Uh, there is a mass uh, fitness or head class on Shehzad uh, Road, which is Adidas Les Mills. Uh, that's going to happen uh, on Shehzad Road on the 12th of November. So the same day that we have Dubai ride, a uh, couple of, uh, I mean, like one hour before that, there will be the biggest, hopefully the biggest uh, head class uh, in the world, which we're trying to break the world record on that. 
I hadn't heard about that. That'll be awesome. That's on the 12th of November. Jakob, thank you so much. Really good to have you join us to talk through everything we've got to look forward to over the next month. Plus, the weather is here. Last year, it was still hot until the end of November. Uh, But this year, the weather seems to have arrived. Winter has come uh, and we're all very cheerful and and celebrating it uh, to the well, the cows come home, basically. Uh, So Jakob Nabi, thank you very much indeed. Manager of the Dubai Fitness Challenge. Make sure you check out the website. Super simple. DubaiFitnessChallenge.com I've got a treat in store, George Tolly here on the agenda. I've got a treat for you because you've got not just one presenter, but you've got two. And Chris is actually in the studio with me. Here he is. I I thought I would join you this morning. I've spoken to you an awful lot. And someone said to me this weekend, I heard you on George's show the other day. You're always in a car. You're always moving. I thought to myself, you know what? It must sound horrendous. So I've come in to see you you. this morning, Georgia. And it has been a pretty special weekend of sport. I heard you over the weekend as well, chatting with Tom for the preamble for for the World Cup. Head of that Rugby World Cup final. I did predict a South Africa win, so I was proven correct. You were? A World Cup final final, maybe not for the ages, but it was no shortage of drama involved in that one. Of course, South Africa emerging victorious. They are now four-time Rugby World Cup winners. A edgy 12 points to 11 victory. And it's amazing that, Georgia, isn't it? Because they beat Ireland by a point in the quarterfinals, did South Africa. They beat the English by a point in the semi-finals. And then to go and win a final again by a solitary point. Credit where credit's due. It wasn't the prettiest of finals. There was a little bit of controversy involved as well. But over the seven weeks, you've got to say South Africa probably deserved it. Yeah, they did. They did. It was an amazing match from what I hear. I have to admit, I haven't seen it all the way through. I was encouraged to come and watch the replay on Sunday morning with the boys. Uh, but, but for some reason, Give it short shift. the pool was calling <laughs> and my book. Uh, but I, I mean, but other than the rugby, there was so much yeah. other sport, wasn't there? So much, uh, I, I guess, from another World Cup that's ongoing, the Cricket World Cup. Commiserations to England, beaten again. I think that's now, what, five and six matches? We were doing so well. What was this basball thing that they used to talk about? Well, basball is still around, of course. Basball is test cricket, not so much the one-day cricket. Uh. England are, I, I think... They're on the way. I think where we're at now, there's a transition happening with England. There's an awful lot of players over the age of 30. Did I expect them to be bottom of the table after six games? No, That's I did not. That's called salt exactly. in the wound. I'm rubbing that in, <laughs> you really Georgia. Are. But India, six from six. They were excellent yesterday. If you missed this one, India running out 100-run victors over England. England skittled out for just 120. I think it was nine in the end. It was 129 inside 34.5 overs. They've just not been at the races. Uh, India, host nation, they've come to the party. And I said it to you last week or the week before, whoever beats India, and I don't think anyone will, incidentally, but the team that beats India will win this World Cup. I do make India overwhelming favourites. Yes, there's pressure. They're backed by over a billion, of course, in their home country. India have looked oh so good. They've got a great balance between bat and ball. And I think India will ultimately emerge victorious in this Cricket World Cup. Now, I know we've got a lot of Pakistani listeners. Do you think that they will be disagreeing with you? Or on this one, is it sort of a I even think cop? the Pakistan fans out there through gritted teeth would admit that they are India. I mean, six wins from six. Yes, OK, South Africa have impressed. They've won five of their six. Australia coming into a bit of form. They've won four on the bounce after losing their opening two matches. I ultimately think the top four set. India, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia... It would be a brave man or woman, though, to bet against India just because they have been 
oh so good and pretty serene about how they've gone about things as well, Georgia. So, yeah, India, I think, will emerge as Cricket World Cup winners. Okay, there was a lot of football over the weekend. Now, I was listening to you guys on Saturday and I discovered that Wayne Rooney has become a football coach, which I didn't know. He is a terrible one as well. Sorry to any Birmingham (laughs) City fans listening. Not often we talk about the English Championship on the agenda, Georgia, but yes, he's now manager of Birmingham City. Uh, He got that job. I'm not quite sure how. I think he's maybe got it through force of reputation or personality because he ain't a football manager, I can tell you that much. Didn't do much at Derby. Certainly didn't do much at DC United over in the States. So he's not a Ted Lasso then? No. No, he's I love Ted Lasso. I just started watching it. It's brilliant. Yeah, It's it's fantastic. Uh, Ted Lasso, I think, could do a better job at Birmingham City than Wayne Rooney, if I'm (laughs) honest. He was beaten in his opening game, a late winner against Middlesbrough. Beaten midweek last week, this is, against Hull. And then this weekend, Southampton beaten by three goals to one. So Birmingham, since changing their manager, have played three, lost three. I only see Birmingham going one way, and that is down under Wayne Rooney. I scratch my head over that appointment. But yes, he is in management. I guess the big story, though, from a footballing standpoint this weekend you saw, you had Real Madrid beating Barcelona in El Clasico oh, over big in Spain teams. Big teams. Uh, the big teams now the big ones that people actually I think cared about and you had the big one at Old Trafford yesterday I watched this one through the cracks in my fingers finished Manchester United nil Manchester City three three it was not a good day at the office for Man United yesterday but then again it rarely is these days. Yeah, what is going... Well, I've asked you this twice. What's going on there? We are just a mess from top to bottom, whether it's the ownership, the players themselves, and you know what? I kind of, my patience is running out with Eric Ten Hag, the manager, as well. He is... He's clueless a little bit. And yes, okay, there are injuries to contend with. He's missing Luke Shaw. He was missing Casemiro last night, Lisandro Martinez. He's missing a few of his key kind of... You know, his key lieutenants. That being said you still expect more. He's not getting a tune out of some key men as Eric and he's under pressure now. This is, you know, the next two months getting into the the new year and the opening of the transfer window. If Man United, if we don't see discernible upturn in fortunes, I think Eric Ten Hag May well be handed as P45 by then. But then it hasn't been as bad as last year. I remember last year everyone was talking about the fact that we lost a premiership manager pretty much every week for about 11 weeks. Forgive me if I'm wrong, thus far, and this is testing me, we've not seen a manager sacking yet and we're about to enter into November. Very odd. Unless anyone out there, 4001, you've put me on the spot a little bit, but I don't think there's, in fact, there hasn't been. There hasn't been a manager in the Premier League. So everyone's calmed down a bit then? A little bit. Yeah, last year was all about the the sort of... Sackings, you're right. Sackings, last year was all about the sackings. we we averaged a couple of months, didn't we? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of managers I remember changes. it. We had a lot to talk about as a consequence. It was, it was quite fun in the sport. Nothing yet, Georgia, but don't count your chickens because in the Premier League, and football's such a fickle sport. Now that you've said that, you do realise that there'll probably be a sacking. Everyone's going to get days. fired now. Everyone's going to get fired. Uh, we've got about 30 seconds with you. I'm going to skip the song because we've got Pigeon Brain next, and I'm not cutting <laughs> that. Pigeons are better at AI than humans. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, you'll have to stay. Listen, uh, F1. Yeah, F1, I mean, where to start? Same, same. Exactly that. Same, uh, same. Copy Verstappen and paste. Did, Verstappen. Verstappen did quite well, astonishingly. Uh, yeah, he did. He <laughs> won the Mexican Grand Prix. So we've got three races left. We're off to Brazil. Then the one that I do care about, Las Vegas. I'm so intrigued. What about us? We're the last one. Of course I care yeah, about Abu Dhabi. But yeah. Las Vegas, the, the, the Sin City. They're is around, that new, that one? That's brand new. Oh, that and, is and exciting. And they're on the strip. 
Are they really? It's bonkers. Uh, that's why there's so oh, much can intrigue. How can we go? How can we go? Have you got about 100,000 US dollars burning Spare. a hole in your pocket? No, I've got the school fees to pay. Exactly. I'm the same. <laughs> so we will not be going to Las Vegas this year. We're we probably not. won't be going next year either, Georgia. Never mind. Well, Chris, thank you very much for thank coming you. into the studio today. It's been lovely to have you with us. An absolute pleasure. And hopefully see you tomorrow. If you're not playing golf with Robbie. I'm not playing golf with Robbie. I can't promise I'll be in studio tomorrow. Who's better at golf, you or Robbie? Robbie. Rob- oh, really? Oh, he plays off three. I'm oh. 13. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's Fair way enough. better. Fair enough. He spent far... That, that's, a, that's a sign of a misspent youth yeah, and adulthood, exactly that is. Exactly that. That's where and, it is. Yeah, unfortunately, I was football. He was golf. He's far better at golf than me, sadly. This is very disappointing to hear. Now, if I say the word pigeon to you, what do you think of? You know, maybe it's... Think of a nuisance, flying rats... But I'd wager you don't immediately hail their great intellect. And yet there is new research out suggesting that pigeons aren't just capable of solving complex problems. They're also thinking in ways that scientists are currently trying to master for artificial intelligence. In fact, so impressive is the pigeon's problem-solving ability that researchers believe it could hold the key to helping people recover from traumatic brain injury in the future. Yep, we're talking pigeons on the agenda this morning. And this weekend, producer Jennifer Crichton sat down with Ed Wasserman. He's the co-author of this new report on pigeons. He's a professor of experimental psychology at the University of Iowa. And he explained that studying pigeons' brains is more helpful to the research community than many might believe. Well, brains are brains. Nature has created brains in many different organisms and Ours, well, we are one of them. And to the extent that we can understand the rules of the road in the processing of information in brains, uh, we might learn a good deal about the general operating characteristics of these systems and what makes one system perhaps different from another. So the pigeon brain has undergone quite a bit of evolution over time. The last common ancestor Uh, between mammals and birds was 360 million years ago. There's every reason to believe that uh, important developments have taken place, and those developments may give us also some basic understanding of what actually evolution does, not only in terms of the physical features of organisms, but how they think, uh, learn, and remember. Tell me a bit about what specifically you've discovered about pigeons' brains, because I saw that in the reporting after this study, you've suggested that in some ways the pigeons' brain works in the same way as now current artificial intelligence systems work. Yes, that basic mechanism is is perhaps present in most vertebrates, most animals with backbones and central nervous systems. The Basic principle is what leads you to say hot and then stove or mellow yellow. Uh, These kinds of associations that have been acquired as a result of experience. And this kind of associative learning has been studied quite assiduously for now just about a 100 years, starting with the work of Pavlov. And it's uh, also evolved when considering the role of feedback in learning. So feedback in learning has to do with whether or not you're going to touch that hot stove again or order the same steak with Bernays sauce on it at the restaurant. 
the consequences of our behavior can affect our subsequent behavior. So those two basic principles, uh, learning by association and uh, the role of feedback in uh, guiding performance, uh, these are the two basic operating characteristics that we think are important in the pigeon's learning. And lo and behold, computer scientists have implemented those very mechanisms in chat GPT, in uh, computer software that will play Go and chess. These, these basic operating properties are to be found in our creation of intelligence systems. Nature has created intelligence systems with, guess what? Those same mechanisms. It's perhaps no surprise that we use those mechanisms to have computers match wits with us. I mean, I think we all think of artificial intelligence as being something very clever, perhaps a little mysterious, you know, hard to understand. Whereas I would suggest that a lot of people probably think of pigeons as being not particularly clever. Do you think they're perhaps unfairly maligned? Well, I don't uh, suspect that people who are familiar with computing systems deem them to be clever. In fact, there's a lot that goes on under the hood that isn't altogether understood. And when we talk about things going on under the hood, we also aren't exactly sure what goes on in the brain that enables pigeons to and people to perform the way they do. And the next step in our journey is to go under the hood and learn more about the neural systems. And so what are the potential uses for this research? Where do you see it going? Well, the fact is that how the pigeon learns may not be the same as the way the human works. We've done experiments to show that in some of these tasks that seem really, really challenging, ultimately pigeons and people respond in much the same way. But the way they get there, the route that they travel, isn't the same. People are much more likely to engage in higher order rule learning or strategies. And the tasks that we've devised thwart the use of those rules or strategies. They demand the kind of brute force trial and error learning that the pigeon seems to excel at. It's not that we can't do it, but it isn't our first choice. The systems that we've developed, these higher order systems, look for regularities in the stimuli that the pigeon doesn't actually seem to notice. So the stimuli that we've used in these experiments have been these circular grids, uh, circles that have black and white lines that can vary in their orientation and in their width. And when we look at these stimuli, our attention is first drawn to whether they're more vertical or more horizontal or there are more or fewer lines. The pigeons don't seem to be seeing that at all. They're seeing a particular combination of of orientation and and uh, width, and they connect that with a response. And if that response is rewarded, then they tend to make that response again to stimuli that look much like that. So it's a very much uh, particulate kind of learning as opposed to a a strategic kind of thinking. The other truth, though, is that these higher order systems 
might be particularly vulnerable to accidents of disease and damage, injury, might be particularly likely to disrupt those more strategic and rule-based systems and leave intact the kinds of learning mechanisms that we're seeing with pigeons. And if that were true, we might be able to give much more assistance to people who've had brain damage. And do you think that perhaps this should teach us that maybe we should treat pigeons with a little more respect? Well, uh, undoubtedly, we should. The pigeons have performed with remarkable accuracy in tasks that would really daunt most humans. But that isn't because we're not smart. It's because they're workaholics and we, I think, would be more likely to give up. Ed Vassaman there, co-author of the report on AI and pigeons, a professor of experimental psychology at the University of Iowa. And he certainly made me look at pigeons in a completely different way. The Agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.